This is Jerry Bingham, host of Hush Loudly on WGN Plus. Monet Lefoot. Embrace the things that make you feel different or, or peculiar that people sort of were kind of like raising an eyebrow at when you're growing up or whatever. That's the special sauce that you bring to the world. So let's have it. Hi, this is Cynthia Pong, and you're listening to Hush Loudly on WGN. Hi, welcome back to Hush Loudly, where we talk about all things introverted. And we have another fabulous guest today. I'd like to introduce Cynthia Pong. She is a feminist career strategist, speaker, and author of, I love this title, Don't Stay in Your Lane, The Career Change Guide for Women of Color. Love it. An NYU-trained lawyer turned career coach, she's on a mission to empower women of color to get the money, power, and respect that they deserve. Her career advice has been featured in Refinery29, HuffPost, Supermaker, Fast Company, and more, and she is a LinkedIn top voice for job search and career. Cynthia specializes in strategizing with mid-career women of color professionals who are pursuing unconventional paths. Her coaching focuses on emboldening her clients, sharpening their negotiation skills, and building their business acumen. She is frequently sought out to provide highly relevant, super applicable, easy-to-understand career advice specifically for women of color. Her clients are breaking down barriers in a variety of fields and industries, including law, medicine, business, international relations, public health, media, the arts, social justice, social work, sustainability, and the trades. Cynthia is a proud introvert, a classic middle child, and an unapologetic Rottweiler enthusiast. And I read somewhere that you like naps. So you know we all have that in common. Yes. (laughs) So welcome, Cynthia, to Hush Loudly. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too. Me too. (laughs) So my first question, we already answered it, but I'd like for you to expound on it. So are you an introvert? Have you ever taken a Myers-Briggs or any of those personality indicator? Mm -hmm. And so you always show up as an introvert? Yeah, you know, I'm definitely an introvert. I'm proud of it. And I, I've i taken the Myers-Briggs before. Hasn't been anytime recently, but I've tested both as an INFJ mm-hmm. and ISFJ. Oh. So I think on that second one, I'm very close to the halfway point. And both resonate with me, although I think maybe INFJ a little bit more. And, you know, I I find that I always show up as an introvert, but a lot of people sometimes, especially if they interact with me first in a more public context, they're shocked. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. A few of us get that. And for those who don't understand, so the INFJ, introverted, intuitive, feeling, judging. Judging. And then the IS is introvert sensing. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, know about the Myers-Briggs. So, um, yeah, a few of us get that where people say, what? You're an introvert? And my response always is, what's your definition of an introvert? And then that turns into <laughs> where we have a discussion about it, you know, and I yes. call myself educating them on what an introvert is or can be. So how do you define introversion? So if you're ever in a situation where people are talking about introverts or you're just educating, how do you define introversion? Right. So I I think of it mainly as, you know, whether or not you're drained by having to interact with a lot of people, especially beyond a Mm one-on-one context. So if you're introverted, you're probably going to be fatigued by that afterwards and may need recovery time. But if you're an extrovert, you're really excited about that and you gain energy from those interactions with lots of people or more than a very small group. Yes, yes. And and how would you define your introversion? You know, I think we all do things differently. How does yours manifest? In what ways do you show your introversion? Right. So it is in that being kind of exhausted or drained or kind of just in a funk mm-hmm. after I have to exert myself if I'm giving a bit talk to a large audience or if I've had to go to some type of a networking event, some place that you know, really requires me to go beyond my comfort zone with respect to interacting with a lot of people, um, then I'll, I'll just feel really exhausted afterwards. I've started actually scheduling in recovery time after I have these engagements mm-hmm. because, yeah, I, I found that that's been really effective, Jerry, and like just helps me not have a bad day afterwards <laughs> and still be able to, you know, show up for my clients or my community however I need to if I just give myself some downtime after. And also just generally not really wanting or needing to talk to people or be around people. You know, I, even before the pandemic, I, I work from home. I work with clients one-on-one almost 100% of the time. And this is by design. You know, I chose it this way because I know that's where I'm most effective. So I, I'm okay with not leaving the house for a few days at a time to the point where sometimes I think I probably should get myself out to get some fresh air. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty extreme in that respect. And then also, I don't know if this is so much of an introvert thing versus something else, um, but I really hate and really try to avoid multitasking. So I very much enjoy focusing on one thing at one time, and I do not like to be interrupted. It gives me that sense of my brain just kind of being shattered if I'm interrupted a lot, like in my own thought process. Well, that's interesting, and I'm going to take that bit of advice because I try to multitask, and I'm looking. I have mm-hmm. a to-do list that has like 20 things on it, and it's I like, know you do. <laughs> I'm, it's like I'm unable to, and maybe I need to think about it differently and change that list mm-hmm. to make it five things a day, or do it something where I can just focus on one thing at a time. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's let's stop talking about me. We'll talk about that later. Um, so no, I love it. Have mm-hmm. you ever felt misunderstood? as as an introvert, either professionally or personally. And, and I talk about this with some of my guests, and I hope to one day do a, a podcast about dating because personally, uh-huh. my friends and I 
I have a girlfriend, and and we're both straight, and I have a guy Mm -hmm. friend who is gay, and we are all introverts, and we talk about dating is also like in the workplace. They Mm -hmm. understood and have to, you know, there are these expectations, or they're expecting you to tell them that you like them, or they're expecting you to be all over them, and we're not like that. So have you felt misunderstood as an introvert, either professionally or personally, and how? Right, uh, definitely as both. The one that, for whatever reason, just personally bothers me the most, and I know you've talked about this with previous guests on Hush Loudly, but people interpreting it as me being shy. Yeah. Because I don't actually think I'm shy. I mean, you and I know this. We, like, when we first spoke and every time we speak, it's very, I don't know, gregarious, open, flows. I don't. I don't feel like that's a, a fair definition of being shy, but people tend to make that assumption about me. I also, though, think that that's a reflection of my introversion intersecting with my racial identity. So I'm Asian American. I definitely present as Asian American. And I think that that stereotype bias of Asian American women being quiet and shy and whatever yeah. also plays in. And I think that's why it bothers me actually more than yeah. the misinterpreting introversion thing. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think about the intersection of, of race and introvertedness? Well, I, I think it's a little different, but I think it's similar in that as a black woman, I feel like I don't fit the mold or me and my black introverted friends don't fit the mold of what society thinks a black woman should be, which is something that we kind of talked about a little bit on the panel. But it's like I think about TV and I think about the images that society has seen. And the black woman is always like really sassy or really funny or like, you know, or either over-sexualized or something like that. And then when I walk in and I'm just kind of (laughs) like... I'm just, I'm just quiet. Or I'm not shy, but they're just like, what, yeah. what is? Who is she? What? She's not like the the lady I grew up watching on show in the seventies. Who? What? I'm trying to figure her out, and she's not. Her her life is not on her sleeve. She's not telling me all that I need to know. There, there's nothing in her. She's not talking about her kids and her family and her husband. She's not, you know. And so, what's wrong with her? What? what's mm-hmm. happening and so I get that which is a whole extra layer in the workplace where exactly. you have to deal with that and sort of make other people feel comfortable with you which mm-hmm. is unfortunate because yes. you're there to work I'm there right. to work I'm not there to, right. to share about what I'm doing on weekends it's nobody's business right. but it's you have to make people comfortable to fit into their culture if you want to succeed and be promoted and all of those things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a lot of contorting that that yeah. I think people of color and introverted people of color have to do professionally. It's a lot. It's many added layers, and that's kind of part of what you do, right? You're help coach women of color, and in, is there is like a separate segment for introverts, or are you like so? Tell us about what you do. Oh, sure. 
Uh, you know, as I was preparing for this conversation, because as we both talked about, preparation is something that we, we don't really do. you know our lives as <laughs> Yeah, so I was thinking more about it and listening to past episodes and things, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I should niche down my business even further and just focus on women of color who are introverts and who also mm-hmm. want to start businesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you have planted that seed. I will say, Jerry, mm-hmm. credit where credit's due. You have planted that seed in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I... I I'm not, I have to think about it more because that's another thing we all need to do, right? As introverts, yeah. I got to marinate on it. And um, overthink. <laughs> yeah, or at least, you know, reflect sufficiently, shall we say. So, no, you asked about my, my clients and they're women of color, but I don't only or exclusively work with introverts at this point. I have found, though, that I do have a lot of introverted clients, probably, you know, makes sense because they know it. And me and, you know, we kind of like attracts so like kind of thing. I've also found recently, very recently, that about a third of my current clients are highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. Like they test very high on that HSP mm-hmm. test. And, but they're not also all introverts. So that's a recent discovery. Mm-hmm. But what I do, what I do is I, I work with women of color who, you know, I, I love working with the women of color who are trying to do something kind of different off the beaten path in terms of their career, their professional aspirations. Although I do also work with some people who are very much on a particular track and want to strengthen their leadership skills, communication skills, management, executive presence, all of that stuff. And I, I tend to work with people in three categories. If it's not the executive coaching area of, you know, improving your leadership and management skills, then it's career change because that's what I managed to do for myself. And the third area is small business startup, entrepreneurship, uh, you know, monetizing creative work. So those are the areas in which I work with clients one-on-one. Um, and, you know, it's really, it's, it's really been a privilege to be a part of people's journey in this way. I mean, I just love it. Uh, and it, it, it really is well suited for me as an introvert because like, I work with them one on one. We do really deep work. I provide support outside of the sessions, which allows me to slow process things and send people things as it comes to me later or like when I have a thought, um, you know, when I'm like cooking dinner or something. Like it, I just have managed to make the job really fit me as a person and my personality. So, I don't know. I love it. I'm not sure if you have more questions about it. Well, but. I'm curious about, so how did you jump from a lawyer to this? What what led yeah. you here? <laughs> well, it wasn't one big leap. It was a couple, you know, kind of hops or pivots along the way. And, you know, when I, I was a public defender in my first career, and that was what I wanted to do for a long, long time. It was the only reason I went to law school. And, you know, I knew to be a public defender, you had to go to law school. So I forced myself to go through the three years and it was not easy as an introvert. Uh, definitely yeah. not. And I, I know you talked to Valerie Jarrett about her experience, you know, being cold called in class and stuff really resonated and mm-hmm. took me back, not necessarily in a great way, but yeah. So survived law school. I worked for a year for a judge in Mississippi very dear to my heart, Justice Graves, who now on the federal, Obama points into the federal circuit after I left. And then I came back here to New York to go to my dream job working as a public defender for legal aid in the Bronx. Um, and 
you know, long story short, I burned out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I it was on on multiple levels. Part of it relevant to my introversion. I I realized after the fact because you know being in court is kind of like being on a stage. So there's a lot of acting and kind of I don't know complex navigating that you have to do when you're advocating for a client mm-hmm. in front of a judge. There's multiple players there, you know, that you have to sort of take into account the prosecutors, of course, and, you know, the court, the court officers, the court staff, court reporter, all these things. And I love hamming it up, you know, like I can do that. I've been, I've had experience being on a stage and performing since I was seven, but the constant interaction and like having to exert all that energy to advocate for my clients. And then also having to attend to so many needs, like having to adjust how I present myself for this particular judge, like thinking about the facts of this case and what I really needed for my client. And then also like, you know, somebody across the room trying to mouth something to me or someone else whispering in my ear, like at the same time the judge is talking and then someone's tapping you on the shoulder, like all this action and constant interruption was exhausting. And then even when I was back at the office, it was like, okay, I'm trying to write this motion. The phone's ringing. I'm getting like pings from my email. Someone's knocking on the door. Somebody else needs this or that. A client's waiting for me in the office, in the waiting room. So all of that really drained me and burned me out over time. In addition to just the system, you know, the racism and the oppression built into the criminal legal system. Mm -hmm. So I had to leave. Uh, and that was a very long uh, description, but I, I had to step away. I took an unpaid sabbatical, did a lot of soul searching on my own, by myself, journaling, not talking to people. And I decided I wanted to start my own business and work for myself. What did your family uh, so, think about that? Um, so did I had already put them mm-hmm. through. <laughs> um, not really, because I had already challenged them in many ways over the course of my life. So I think they were used to it. And yeah, by then they were desensitized. They were like, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I think they knew also that what I knew, and it's a very privileged position to be in, which is that like, I have a fancy law degree. I have practiced law and trained in court. I knew that if my business failed, I could always go back out and use my law degree to get a job, even though I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. So I had that safety net feeling. Okay. Yeah, but you know, it took a lot of experimentation to find what I do now. And is that something you maybe, you know, invite your clients to do without giving away your secrets, your coaching? Oh, no, no, no. But yeah. how does that work? I wonder if you could, without telling us too much, since oh, you're no, talking about your journey, you know, what does it look uh-huh. like for anyone who is interested in um, someone like working with someone like you to help them? Right. Uh, do you mean specifically with respect to career change or just anything career? Anything career? Oh, yeah. So a lot of it is trying to do a lot of deep listening of my clients and asking the right questions, which I think is something you can really relate to as you mm-hmm. have drafted very, very good questions for this conversation, you know? Um, so, in, you know, in the beginning, I, I give people two 
documents to kind of complete before we meet because I also want to know like what's going to be showing up and I want to think about it before we meet and all that stuff. So the preliminary questionnaire I give people is, is pretty detailed and it, it mostly just forces people to sit down and think and put things down on paper that questions that probably have been kind of at the back of their mind for a long time or even the yeah. forefront, but they've never been forced to confront and have to answer and, and put down. So it's usually very illuminating both for me and for them. And by then I sort of know like, okay, what's, what's the direction that we sort of need to go in and through like asking more questions to investigate what's happening with them. Something I, I learned from my lawyer background and doing the deep listening and then strategically problem solving with them forward in their career. It's, it's not rocket science, Jerry. It really is simply that. You have an accountability partner, a strategic partner who's with you, who doesn't have, who has some perspective because they're outside of your life and doesn't have the, the um, pressure of the high stakes of it being their life, mm-hmm. you know, so I can be, I can be a little freer thinking about what your vision could be or like what's possible for you. And that's sort of how it works. Like, a lot of talking and stuff, obviously, and reflection, but then also a lot of action. So really about that pragmatic, what's the next step for you? And and then is this like over what time period or, or how does that work as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for most of my clients, I work with them for at least two to three months as kind of a foundational period of time. But then a lot of my clients choose to continue in some form or fashion. Other people are like, okay, I'm good to continue on my own now. And, you know, I do offer also one-off sessions, which are just for kind of discrete problem solving. So I do do that too. But I mean, on average, I probably work with a client for at least a couple of months. Some I've worked with for years, but yeah. Okay. And and one thing I want to talk about where, you know, you talk about negotiation. And yeah. so you advise women of color on uh, that topic, which I think is probably a big deal. It's a, and, and I, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on that because I've had experience with that where even though I know I'm qualified or overqualified, it's something, and I always just feel like it's the imposter syndrome. Like, mm. you, you really can't ask for that much money, Jerry. You really can't. So you need to, you know, accept and be grateful for what you're given. And I don't know mm. if that's a cultural thing where that's the way I've just grown up or been raised, or is it the imposter syndrome, and or is it, I don't know what it is. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about talking about negotiation. Yeah. Well, I definitely think, I mean, the imposter syndrome is a lot of my clients. Uh, but also, I think as women of color, we're definitely socialized to go along to get along, yes. to put other people's needs first, to always yes. be taking care of other people. Yeah. And Amen. you are dead last, right? Like, you personally are dead last. If you try to put yourself first, if there's, you know, you're shamed, you're made to feel bad. So we learn. This is definitely a learned behavior. You know, we learn not to do that. So those are lessons that it takes many years, maybe even like a lifetime to continually unlearn. Mm. But I do think it's really possible to reprogram and reframe our thoughts around it. 
I think as introverts, we have a special power to become really good at negotiating because we do like to read and study and prep as a, you know, kind of a blanket statement that does tend to make us feel more confident and, you know, comfortable. So, so that's where I want to emphasize that there is, you know, we have a special ability to really (laughs) perform super well if we lean into that part of our personality type and study up and work with somebody and like practice in in safe settings one-on-one before you actually have the conversation. And to your point about like, oh, Jerry, you can't really ask for that much. What I will say is, yeah, because it's hard to say like in the abstract, but I'm going to guess for like, I've never worked with a woman of color who I've been like, "Mm, that really is like really out of range on the high end. You know, that's not where we tend to be. Like, the, mm-hmm. we're on the other side of the spectrum, yeah. asking for too little. Yeah. Yeah, and charging too little for our, our work, which is really not, it doesn't serve actually any of us. It doesn't serve us individually, it doesn't serve our families and those who we support, and it doesn't serve our community of other women of color. Well, you know. Yeah. And, and you're making me think about how, so at my last job, so I was over all of the marketing, advertising, all of that. I was a fierce mm-hmm. negotiator with vendors and mm-hmm. making me think about this myself where I would always talk them down. It would always be back and forth. And I think kind of what you're talking about, the, the authenticity that we have, the research that we do, all of these things come across and people do try to meet our needs, obviously, and they want to keep the business. So I can mm-hmm. be a fierce negotiator for my company. And I don't know if it's because mm-hmm. I have the strength of the company behind me. I know the vendor needs us. I know we can find another vendor. So it's easier. Yep. But when it comes mm-hmm. to me at salary negotiation or something like that, that fierceness just goes out the window. So we need to talk about that, Cynthia. Yes. And I, oh, I'm so glad you raised that. <laughs> yeah, it's so true because that's a very, very, very common um, phenomenon that I see in my clients. And I experience it for myself, too. I used to advocate for other people, right? And I would go toe-to-toe, you know? But, like, when it comes to me negotiating on behalf of myself or my business, it's it's different. However, one thing that I do also talk about and teach in my online workshop three strategies to get paid more is think about, try to separate yourself out as if you were your own agent. Mm -hmm. Like, you know how you could go really hard for your company, right? So pretend, pretend Jerry Bingham is your client. Yes. And, and like separate a little bit so that you can take the advocacy that you would have brought to the table had it been someone else and apply it to yourself. That set of skills is something really cool that um, I like to urge my clients to do because we have the skills, you know, we mm-hmm. have it. Mm-hmm. So why should it be any different when it's us? Right. I love that. I love that. So awesome. thank you for that. I want to also talk about, I want to go back to, uh, we had started talking about presenting Asian American, presenting African American. And mm-hmm. um, I was curious about, you already kind of talked about your family, how they're like, whatever, girl, you know, they're, they're <laughs> desensitized to everything. Yeah. But is there, 
So we're like in your family. So in the black family where or in my black family, you know, it's a lot of people and and, you know, they they're maybe just more extroverted than me and always want to hang out. And Thanksgiving is not just I would love if Thanksgiving was two hours. No lie. But Thanksgiving is all day, you know, and the next day and the next day. And um, I know that people need that. So, you know, as an introvert, I have to find my way where, you know, where I may disappear for a couple hours or whatever I need to do. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder about you and in your family and was it the same or is it completely different with gatherings and things like that? I love it. So. Growing up in my American household, it felt totally okay, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, quiet, uh-huh. quiet and studying alone and stuff, like, totally okay. Highly encouraged, if anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from my bio, I am a middle child, but, like, my sisters and I, like, there's a bigger age gap between me and my older sister. So me and my younger sister, we might play a lot. But, like, also we would be A-okay reading our books and drawing by ourselves or like doing whatever um what what you made me think of just now when you were talking about your experience is i married into a black family so the whole thanksgiving (laughs) both of our sides yes very you know you get it (laughs) yeah so what you were talking about just there really brought me back to every thanksgiving in their in their household but my my spouse is an introvert too though we're both super introverts mm-hmm. it's really hard for both of us mm-hmm. and one of my friends from college Sandra who knows us so well she really hit it on the head recently when she was like you know if you're like at a party or something like wherever the action is Cynthia and Danny are always on the opposite <laughs> side from that <laughs> As far away. True. Yes. Literally as far away as possible. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, we've we've really had to figure out that it's okay to kind of take a breather and sort of retreat from where all the action is happening for a little while to uh, recover and come back and, you know kind of just secretly like go go upstairs and go to sleep if you can get away (laughs) sleep's also very important to me so yeah it's been it's been a little bit tough but I think the extroverts who dominate in that specter like they're also okay like with us not being there okay very very cool (laughs) we have to talk about I'm sorry I'm getting you all off track we have to talk about this book at all when I saw don't stay in your lane I (laughs) I love that so tell us about and it's coming out August 27th so tell us about this this book and is it a workbook it's a book what is it yes well, a great question. Okay, so my book is Don't Stay in Your Lane, The Career Change Guide for Women of Color. And it is a step-by-step instruction manual. Certainly, like, probably half of it is like a workbook style. And it will walk you through your career change from that very first kind of light bulb moment when you realize something's not right to actually transforming your career and finding that next thing, whatever that may be for you. And I'm so glad you liked the title because I agonized over it. What? I had to. Yeah, it's, I'm not good at perfect. Perfect. Thank you. It says so much. Thank you. Thank you. I, um, I'll tell you how I, I thought of it in the end was I had to meditate on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just forced myself to meditate on it and like write down as many ideas as I had. But even then I wasn't sold and 
I had to, I took a couple of candidates of like the best titles I could think of and surveyed a few clients, former clients, colleagues to get their opinion. And this one was the winner by like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so people really liked it. Yeah. It's, it's and wonderful. I mean, thank you. I, I especially love it, obviously, because, you know, especially for women of color, we're told to do so many things and kind of like stay in a box that's like predetermined for us or whatnot. And so much of my work is helping us step outside of that and push the boundaries and not be constrained by what society, white patriarchy, our families, culture tells us. So, yeah, I, I'm glad you find it fitting. <laughs> it's really grown on me. <laughs> so how do people find this? I know I pre-ordered a copy and can't wait to get it. Yeah, so how do people you. get it? <laughs> sure. Um, so everything is really on my website, which is embracechange.nyc. And if you go there, the, either click on the banner or go to the tab that says book, and you can read all about it. And, you know, the, the book is, it definitely centers women of color and my experience as one, also my experience working with women of color to find something new. But I also think that, like, I, I've had people read advanced copies of it and it told me both that people who don't identify as women of color can find a lot of value in it and also mm-hmm. people who are not trying to change careers, interestingly, too, mm-hmm. because there's just a lot that can be applied to different aspects of your life and just pushing forward your career in in whatever way and also doing it like in your own genuine way that that brings your uniqueness out so you know people can read tons more about the book um there it also does share a lot about my own journey changing careers which a lot of people have been very interested in over the years so so all of that is in there too the good the bad the ugly all of it. Okay. Well, we can't wait to read it. And I am going to, in closing, um, ask you, you've already given so much advice, but is there any oh, other thing that you wanted to share, any tips that you want to share um, with our listening audience that includes introverts and extroverts? So, you know, we talked about the negotiation thing earlier. And one thing I, I will say that's like a something to, to think about is if you're worried about putting out a number that's too high, like, remember this. If you put out a number and what comes back to you is a yes right away, then you know that you left money on the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You actually want to hear one or two or even three no's mm-hmm. before you land on something because then you know you've really maximized what you could get. So that's, that's one for people generally who maybe feel sheepish about negotiating. And then for introverts, you know, be you. There's literally no reason to apologize for being introverted. I, yeah, like embrace the things that make you feel different or, or peculiar that people sort of were kind of like raising an eyebrow at when you're going up or whatever, because that's the special sauce that you bring to the world. So let's have it. I love that special sauce. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you. Kong. We can't wait to read your book. And, and Thank you, Jerry. I'm going to be your next client, so we'll come back <laughs> later after this, we will talk. After this podcast. So it. thank you so much for joining yes. us on Hush Wildly today. Thank you so much. It's been a total honor and privilege. Thank you. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash introverts hush loudly and listen to past episodes at wgnradio.com or hushloudly.com. Oh,